season of Don't Shoot the Messenger is brought to you by 91. 91 is an authorized financial service provider. That's what Regina and I do, is we facilitate conversations with white women to tell the truth, have radically honest conversations, and, you know, they don't like that very much. White people don't like to tell the truth. White women are paying $2,500 for a dinner to learn how they're racist. That's the headline that caught my eye in February 2020. In America, it emerged, groups of white women were paying two women of color to come to a dinner party and essentially school them on racism. And it sounded like these dinner parties were often profoundly uncomfortable events with white women sobbing over their lasagna while admitting their deep underlying racist beliefs. We wanted to know more. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, the Daily Maverick podcast where we bring you the stories behind the stories. In our third season, we're looking at interesting ways of tackling South Africa's problems. And the issue we're exploring at the moment is the national challenge of race relations. Last episode, we looked at the example of Rwanda, where people were required by law to come together after the genocide and work and talk. Today, we're digging into one possible way of having these difficult racial conversations, talking to the two American women who made headlines last year for their unique, controversial white women dinner parties. I'm your host, Rebecca Davis. I'm Regina Jackson with Race to Dinner, and um, I have been doing this work since the 60s, and what I know is it never ends. When you live in a white supremacist society, you always have to be fighting for your rights. Regina Jackson is one half of the project called Race to Dinner. Syra Rao is the other half. My name is Syra Rao. I live in Denver, Colorado, about a half a mile from Regina. Um, very lucky for that. We get to see each other all the time. And uh, I'm born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. And my parents were immigrants from India. They were able to come here thanks to the Immigration Act of 1965, which that's thanks to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So essentially, we were able to come here thanks to Black people's labor. As you can hear, Regina and Syra don't have a lot of time for small talk. Both of them pretty much get down to the brass tacks of talking race right away. They had this conversation with our producer, Haji, whose voice you'll hear in between. Regina, who's a bit older than Syra, says her political awakening came during the Vietnam War, which she joined protests against when she was in high school. She also pinpoints the assassination of Martin Luther King, as a kind of tipping point in her personal activism. Cyrus says when she was growing up in Virginia, Indian families were very much in the minority. Nobody knew what I was. And to give you a sense of that, 
when I was born, my mom was a doctor at the Veterans Administration. So she's, you know, very familiar with being in hospitals and being around doctors and nurses. And she said the nurses and the doctors kept coming by the room and like giggling, sort of nervously looking at me. And at one point she got concerned that something was wrong with me, the newborn. And finally they brought the birth certificate over and on the birth certificate listed my dad as African-American and my mother as Caucasian. And they said, sorry, there's no box for other. They literally had no clue what I was. Um, that that really kind of defined my, my childhood and into adulthood. Syra and Regina met after Syra decided to run for Congress in 2018. She ran against a Democrat, someone she describes as a super liberal white lady who had been in Congress for over two decades, but in Syra's view, hadn't achieved much. Syra lost, but she ended up getting 34% of the vote, which is a much higher share than anyone had predicted. And there was another effect of her political campaign, race to dinner. Tell me about how race to dinner came about. Were you guys just brainstorming? Did something specific inspire it? Every time I spoke, I had, you know, a line out the door of white ladies wanting to meet me for coffee and drinks and dinner. And I had to do it because I was running for office. And it wasn't nine times out of 10 that the following happened. It was like 10 times out of 10 that the following thing happened, which is we would meet and they would be there to tell me not all white people, not all white women, not me. You've got me wrong because the only people on the planet that get to be individuals are white people. They don't get painted as a monolith. The rest of us all get lumped together. And so, you know, you've got me wrong specifically. Okay, fine. So I lost in June of 2018. And I was hoping one of the perks of losing was these white ladies would go away. But unfortunately, they, they just grew in numbers in terms of wanting to meet for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Because Regina was working on Cyrus' campaign, white women kept approaching her too to set up lunches or dinners with Syra. Eventually, Cyrus said, fine, I'll do dinner with these women as long as Regina comes too. So they attended a couple of dinners and they proved to be interesting. Here's Regina. A white woman set up the dinner. Syra and I went and she had invited several friends of hers. And the conversation just got crazy. Um, it was Cyrus said something about yoga being cultural appropriation and that uh, white yoga studio owners won't hire uh, black or brown women to teach yoga. And there was a young woman in the room who was a, a yoga teacher. And another lady got really upset with Cyrus said that. And she said, that is really mean. You need to apologize to her. And the young woman says, no, she's right. She's absolutely right. So that was one incident. Syra remembers another occasion on which a white woman sitting next to Regina started crying. Syra says it's always the white woman sitting next to Regina who cries. Her mom, I guess, was like pretty active in the civil rights movement. And she started crying and saying to us, saying to Regina, an actual black woman, you don't even know what it feels like to be called an N-word lover as a child. Wow. That's what I used to be called. And I mean, and, and she kept saying the word yeah. over and over again. I mean, like just zero self-awareness around around any of it. So yeah, it went it went sideways.
felt strongly that these dinners came at an actual cost to her and Regina. There was a monetary cost in that she had to pay a babysitter to look after her kids while she attended them. But there was also the emotional toll of having all these white women weeping on their shoulders, essentially asking them for racial redemption. Regina had the brilliant branding idea, oh, we should just do this as a business and call it Race to Dinner. Um, And so Race to Dinner was born. After the break, Syra and Regina explain more of the thinking behind their distinctly novel business plan. Change is everywhere. Sometimes it's good, sometimes confusing, or so extraordinary that it challenges everyone and everything. But whatever change comes next, 91 will strive to do everything possible to make a positive change for your investments and for the world we live in. 91, investing for a world of change. This season of Don't Shoot the Messenger is brought to you by 91. 91 is an authorized financial service provider. Have any questions or comments about the latest episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger? Why not post them on the comments section of Apple Podcasts and we'll try and look into them for future episodes. You can also rate and review us. Our podcast is only possible because of your engagement and we want to know what you think. Regina came up with the idea for a business called Race to Dinner just over two years ago, in February 2019. And the two women quickly got busy making the idea a reality. They launched the website racetodinner.com, where people can register their interest in hosting a dinner, which Regina and Syra will attend. The inquiry form states, quote, So you're willing to set aside your white woman tears? Use this form to let us know of your interest. Why specifically a white woman? Are you trying to highlight that intersectionalism aspect? Regina always says white men, like if they were going to change anything, they would have done it by now. You know, Um, that's number one. Number two, being totally honest. I mean, look at the gun culture in this country. It's completely out of control and 99.9% of it is white dudes. So just for safety, I mean, the amount of hate mail and threats we get. In fact, I was just looking at my phone. A police officer from Denver just called me back because I just got a a very recent threat and they want to circle back about it. It's white men. So I I mean, I, I would not like to get shot at a dinner. You know, that's like, that's that's one thing. But, you know, here's our thesis kind of, is what Regina and I are doing very intentionally. It's a black woman and an Asian woman. And here in this country, you know, Asians are considered the model minority. And so we're showing divide and conquer, by the way, in South Africa, 100% as well. Divide and conquer is always the way to go. And so you have us all fighting each other and they're off in the corner smoking cigars and drinking martinis. And so what we're showing is we're showing black and brown women's solidarity. And our thesis is stop choosing whiteness over your gender. Come be and like get rid of your whiteness, dismantle your whiteness, and you can join the sisterhood. One of the reasons why they wanted these difficult racial conversations to take place at a dinner party in particular is because they bet on the majority of white women being too polite to storm out. Has there ever been an experience where people got so 
out of control that they've just quit the dinner early and said, please leave? <laughs> well, no one has ever walked out. Um, but I think that, you know, a couple of people did shut down and they were, you know, giving each other goofy eyeballs and everything. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I mean, like, so that's very white woman-y, right? Like, if it was white dudes, they would either shoot us or leave or do both, you know? White women will sit there and just uh, grin and bear it because it would be extremely rude and not nice and not polite for them to leave the dinner table. The amount they charge for the dinners, which originally was $2,500, has been kind of obsessively focused on by the media. But the two women are quick to point out that when you break down that fee, it doesn't amount to that much. From the fee, they pay their employee Lisa, who they refer to as the resident white woman. Lisa does all the admin of arranging the dinners and also spends hours on Zoom with the hosts before and after the dinners, preparing and debriefing them. Syra and Regina are willing to attend dinners hosted anywhere in the country, So they sometimes spend hours on travel. And above all, they say, the emotional labor required in these conversations is really, really intense. So they've increased the price to $5,000, which they say actually still doesn't feel like enough. When it comes to the actual dinners, Regina says there's only one rule. The only rule that we have at our dinners is the host has to set aside a room, you know, with lots of tissue and everything that you need to go have a good cry because we don't let them stay at the dinner table if they're going to cry. It seems like crying happens fairly frequently at these dinners. The kind of women who pay Regina and Syrah to attend their dinner parties are, by definition, liberal. They consider themselves progressive, non-racist, non-racial. And some of the uncomfortable truths they hear from Regina and Syrah make them very, very defensive. Syrah gives the example of a dinner which took place in January this year, just three days after the storming of the U.S. Capitol by crazed Trump supporters. At the end, one of them says... Do you see us as any different from the people who attacked the Capitol? And Regina and I, in unison, said no. And that's when they lost their entire minds. Like, how dare we um, insinuate they're, you know, they're like that. Here's another of the hard truths that Regina gives them to chew on. You know, we always talk about you can't change what you don't acknowledge. And I think it's really hard for white women to acknowledge that all the freedoms they have, all the rights they have, except the right to vote, were earned on the backs of black people. Mm -hmm. Because the black suffragettes were thrown under the bus. Mm -hmm. Without the civil rights movement, you know, white women would still be having babies in the kitchen. So they don't want to acknowledge that. That's right. What whiteness does is it takes a movement started by black people for their own individual freedom and rights and turned it into something that benefits white women more than anyone else. Listening to these women describe what they do, Haji had one burning question. This is emotional toil. 
Like, you know, it's hard work. I'm listening to you guys and I'm putting myself in your position, just thinking about panels I've been on and white people that have been in the audience. And I, honestly, it makes me want to bury myself alive in a coffin that's made of metal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously these are necessary conversations, but how do you deal with the the emotional wear and tear of it? Well, you know, Syra has had a very, very short, I would say, uh, learning curve in dealing with her, you know, coming to terms that she's a brown woman in a white supremacy uh, world. I, I think because of my age, you know, I was born in 1950. Everything was black and white. I have no expectations of white people. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you, babe. <laughs> But how that play? I, I think how that plays out, Regina, is um, you don't you don't get very flustered. Regina does not get nearly as flustered. And, and I'll say this: I think that we've done enough of these at this point that I don't get as flustered as I did for sure. Yeah. Because you know we've seen every one of these dinners. It, some are more intense than others, definitely. Yeah. Um, but every one of them, you kind of have white woman bingo. So. After enough times where you've seen, you know, there's a crying one, there's the there's the angry one, that there's the one who's constantly crossing her arms. And the love everybody. Oh, love everybody. Can't we all just love everybody? Regina, give us some of your wise tips, like just your top three about how to stay calm and collected in the face of whiteness and not want to chew your own arm off, just throw it at someone. <laughs> No, I'd rather chew their arm off. <laughs> That's just me. Now, I'm one of those people, if I see wrong, I don't care who it is, where I, where I am, I'm stepping in. That's just me. Right. That's how I'm wired. You don't let your feelings get in the way of other people's pain. Right. And, you know, I'm a, a real strong believer that. The other thing is, you know, I don't, deal in this, you hurt my feelings nonsense. You know, we all need to own our own feelings, whatever those are, and we need to do the internal work to work on those feelings. I am not responsible for how you feel, and I'm not going to own that, so you can take it someplace else. One thing Syrah and Regina are under no illusions about is the idea that the women they dine with find it a pleasant experience. In fact, on occasion, their former dinner party guests have gone on to badmouth them all over town. That doesn't faze Syrah and Regina one bit. In fact, sometimes they think it might be evidence that their methods are working. Are there any advantages or changes, and I mean, I don't know if you guys ever see this woman again, if you interact with them again, if they're part of your immediate communities, uh, if you hear about them taking these conversations and messaging elsewhere. Is there any of that going on? I'll tell you this. I know that they might hate us and they might have hated the experience, but they're still thinking about it yeah. regularly. I think that's the thing is that there's a little, there's something that there's a voice in their head that wasn't there before. Yeah. And if that's all that we can achieve in those two hours, like that's not bad. I am a white woman. Do I love the idea of attending a dinner party? 
where all my liberal consolations are stripped away? Frankly, no, not at all. Like many of us, I suspect, I would probably go a long way to avoid that. But Zyra and Regina might say that's a sign that I need to do it. To achieve true growth, they believe, what's needed is to sit in your discomfort. Shoot the Messenger is a podcast brought to you by The Daily Maverick. This episode was produced by Haji Mohammed Dauji and written by Rebecca Davis. Editing by Tevya Turok Shapiro. Sound mix by Bernard Kotze. And additional support from Catherine Kotze. You can listen to Don't Shoot the Messenger on The Daily Maverick's website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more, subscribe to The Daily Maverick's newsletters and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm.